Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me as always is John. John, how's your week been so far? What you been up to? Oh, it's been good. Uh, took a big trip with the fiance up to, uh, we went up to the Finger Lakes region in upstate New York. So Ooh, exciting. Yeah, it was beautiful, man. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous, and uh, great, um, <laughs> <laughs> great hiking, great, beautiful vistas, waterfalls, camping, fires, all that stuff, man. It was awesome. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a trick to try to get all this, uh, research in to, to do this preview podcast but i was able to squeeze some stuff in and you know looking forward to doing this how about you yeah man? What you, you got you got something coming up yes i am uh heading out tomorrow to north carolina to see the minnesota golden gophers take on the north carolina tar heels so that'll be exciting that's i awesome. have not been there before so it's always fun to take in a new college football venue yeah, man. And, uh, and it should be a great game. Well, and Chapel Hill is beautiful. That whole area is gorgeous. So I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it for a lot of a lot of reasons. But hopefully yeah, that's right here. Hopefully the main reason will be because it's coming out with the Golden Gopher W. Yes, exactly. Although that's not what the Vegas line says. No, I don't think most people are expecting that. No. So <laughs> that'll make it extra cool if it happens. If it does. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk all about it. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into it then. All right. First of all, we need a, a slight correction. Um, on the last podcast, I reported that uh, Mel Tucker was fired as head coach of the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, Mel Tucker, that was reported by Brett McMurphy. And so I was going off of that. He's a pretty reliable source uh, generally. But Mel Tucker has been suspended uh, pending a hearing that is coming up in October. After that hearing, he will almost certainly be fired. So I would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it's a I great think, and it's a great gig for whoever comes who's coming in next, which, you know, that'll be that'll be interesting. They got a lot of really good resources there at, in East Lansing. Yes, we will definitely we'll cross that bridge uh, when it comes to it, but it should be a. Should be a big coaching, you know, a big time coaching search. And here's the thing. All Big Ten jobs are great jobs. True. There are no there are no truly, you know, despite what anyone else will tell you, there are no truly bad jobs in the Big Ten. You're going to make a bunch of money. You're going to have great resources. You're going to have good institutional support. You know, they're all they're all good gigs. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always have an issue when I hear people try to talk about certain programs within the big 10 that are, you know, on the same level of, you know, some G5, G5 program. And I just say, there's just no way you can actually justify that to me. That makes any sense with the, le- with the amount of money and resources and notoriety that this conference has. And it just doesn't, I, I don't buy it. Yeah. And it's the most visible conference at this point from a TV perspective as well. Yep. And you've seen that by the way the games have shifted. There are a lot more primetime games this year on more major networks. So it's really never been a better time to be in the Big Ten. I agree. Awesome. Shall we, Should we get move on? Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I was just saying, let's move on. Yeah, let's do this. All right, let's get into the games. So we are previewing this uh, 
week three slate of Big Ten games. John, we've got a bit of a Big Ten ACC showdown. Yeah, it'll be fun, man. It's really cool. There's lots of there's lots of great matchups. I'm really looking forward to it. it should be pretty interesting. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the first game. We've got the Virginia Cavaliers at the Maryland Terrapins. This is a Friday 6 p.m. game on FS1. The line is Maryland, negative 14 and a half. This is an old ACC matchup, but they haven't played in a decade. A little bit of a regional rivalry here. Total offense, Maryland averages about 490, uh, and it's pretty balanced, 285 passing, 205 rushing to Virginia's 298, on, uh, which is not, you know, obviously as good. You'll get a little theme here with these statistics when it comes to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Total defense, Maryland is giving up 295 yards per game, and Virginia is giving up 447, which is pretty equal, you know, 220 yards passing, 227 yards rushing. So they've been kind of equally bad against the run and the pass. Maryland's 2-0, and while Virginia is 0-2. And John, what are you thinking about this game? I... I expect Maryland to come in and do, you know, what they what they are plan what they set out to do. I think they're going to be able to have a pretty balanced offensive game. Uh, you know, they're going to be able to pass the ball, run the ball on this defense. They, they, the Virginia defense got burned on the deep pass often, and their D line had a ton of trouble getting pressure and stuff in the run. So I, I can see this being a big game for Roman Hemby. I think he's going to be all over the field. I think Talia is going to be able to pass pretty much at will. And <clears throat> I think at the line of scrimmage too, I think, um, I think Maryland is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and basically dominate this whole game. I, I maybe the first half could be somewhat close, but I think Maryland's going to pull away and probably score a decent amount of points in the second half. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. You know, Maryland is 2-0, and while Virginia is 0-2. Virginia got crushed by Tennessee in Week 1, and they lost a heartbreaker to James Madison in Week 2. Um, expectations were real low for Virginia heading into the year, and the Cavaliers have done nothing to raise them. Mm-mm. And the stat that really jumps out at me is that Virginia is only averaging 1.5 yards per rush which ranks 127th in FBS. John, I believe there's only about, it changes every year, but I think it's 133 FBS teams, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so, they're definitely on the bottom. <laughs> and they and they, they had trouble holding onto the ball. Their run game is terrible. I mean, they're, they're blocking everything, man. I mean, it just looked, it doesn't look good. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, unless something happens to gel here, um, by the time, you know, by tomorrow, um, I just see, I think Maryland is going to be able to handle this pretty well. Yeah. And even worse uh, for the Cavaliers is that starting QB Tony Musket remains day to day with an injury sustained against Tennessee. If he can't go back up, Anthony Calandria will make his second start. Yeah. The thing about Virginia, from my perspective, is that Tony Elliott runs this pro style timing based attack. And while those offenses work fine in the NFL, that's a hard thing to swing in college football, especially when you don't have the Clemson level talent that he's used to having. Yeah. When you see these, these offenses try to run these, 
prototypical uh, NFL, uh, you know, offensive schemes. It just it doesn't. It just sometimes doesn't doesn't always work. And honestly, even when you have a ton of talent, it doesn't always work. So I'm thinking I'm just not gonna... even if it works. I'm always thinking, would you be better better off running the air raid? No, sorry, I yeah. interrupted. You. Go on. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you, man. I I agree. It's I I don't think there's going to be much of a contest. Virginia could surprise, but I'm not expecting it. No, I think this is going to be a big game for Maryland. I mean, Leah Tugavailoa is having a great season so far with 547 yards passing, completing 68% of his passes. We've seen Roman Hemby take over games running the ball. You know, Maryland's got great receiving targets and Dicious Jones and Prather. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they've been scoring 38 points per game. They've looked good. So yes. what I want to see is Maryland take it to an overmatched opponent without getting behind two scores to start the game <laughs> like they did last week. Yeah. Let, let's not do it. Let's not. Let's work on that turnover game. Let's not do that. Yeah. Let's protect the ball. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, Virginia's overmatched in this game. It's just time to they got to run the ball. Let Leah do Leah things. Exactly. All right. I have got Maryland 38, Virginia 21. I do think Virginia will move the ball a little bit. They've got a couple decent pieces at receiver, and Maryland can get a little lackadaisical on that side of the ball at times. True. Um, what are you thinking, John? Yeah, I think I think Maryland goes 42, but I also think Virginia gets to 21 for the same reasons. I, I could see, you know, either at the, the, the end of the, the first half or, you know, just coming out of the gate at the beginning of the second half that Maryland just gets a little lazy, falls asleep for a little while, um, but then, you know, wakes up. So brings it, you know, protects their lead. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next game. We have got the Penn State Nittany Lions visiting the Illinois Illini. Number seven, Penn State is 2-0. and Illinois is 1-1. and It's on 11 a.m. kickoff on Fox. This is Fox's big noon kickoff game, so there's that added hype to bringing one of the top two shows in college football into town. The line is PSU, negative 14 and a half, and the crowd is doing an orange out, and it's always fun when the crowd picks one color like that. Yeah. Well, I hope they have fun with that orange out. Um, Cause I don't know how much fun they're going to be having during this game. Uh, unless something, there's some major changes, especially on the defensive side of the ball for Illinois. I just really think they're going to have a tough time. Like we talked about in the last episode, I think we mentioned it maybe even before that, you know, Penn State's playing the best football in the conference so far that we've seen so far. And that could change. You know, this is a conference game. It's going to be tougher. It's going to be the hard, you know, probably the toughest opponent Penn State has, has played so far. I think, obviously. But yes, clearly. But still, you know, if if Illinois goes out there the same way they did against against Kansas, they're just going to get absolutely annihilated. And, you know, Fortunately, Illinois has a Luke Altmeyer, and we'll have to see how well uh, uh, Penn State's defense, um, you know, does against does against him. I mean, he's going to test them, and we're just going to have to see how that goes. But I mean, 
you know, as of what we've seen right now, but again, you know, their competition hasn't been great. Penn State looks like they should run away with this, but Brett Bielema, you know, like we talked about, like I think you mentioned it on the last podcast as well, tends to all of a sudden get his team to show up at the most uh, random times. So, Well, and if I recall correctly, the last time these two teams met, Bielema pulled out a, a crazy game in, I, I think, nine overtimes. Yeah, it was nuts. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how dumb the overtime rule is just for a minute. Okay. So I love college football overtime. I think it's far superior to the professional model. Yeah. Each team gets a chance from the 25. It's totally even. It's, you you know, it's far enough away that it's hard to hard enough to score, you know, kind of thing. And so you get good results. But I thought it was bad when they went away from having the third overtime that you had to go for the two point conversion, yeah. but that you were still having normal downs. Like each team gets a possession. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get to the third overtime, you just go to alternating two point conversions. Yeah. And that's really gimmicky. And I think it's a poor way to decide a football game. I agree. It's like we've turned into soccer with penalty kicks. <sighs> Like, it's like, does it really tell the tale of who the better team is? I don't like, I don't know. It's if it's which team has better two point conversion plays can decide a game. I just don't love that. No. And I don't want to ever feel like we're considered anything like soccer. I'm with you, dude. Yeah. All right. Let's move into the game. Um, John, what else, what else are you thinking about this game? You know, I, I, like I said, I mean, there, as of right now, like with what we saw last week, the, the disaster that was Illinois and their defense, especially, I don't know how they're going to contain, you know, the, the, uh, Penn state's running game. I mean, the passing game, everything like it, I just, if they had that much trouble against Kansas, I can't imagine how much trouble they're going to have against Penn State. I, I just there's there's even more talent. There's even more speed. There's the skill positions are just loaded. So they uh, are really absolutely on fire coming into this game. Offensively, defensively, just just crushing. And and again, yeah, I know they've been playing you know inferior opponents, but it's just there's not even a hiccup. I haven't seen a single thing that to. I mean, I shouldn't say a single thing, but. Overall, they just look like they're everything is just kicking on all cylinders right off the bat, and I think they got the momentum going in their favor. I mean, they're they're they've got an average of 510 yards a game, and they're giving up 224. Yeah, that's I mean that tells you the tale of dominance on both sides of the ball. Well, and other than Luke Altmaier, like what what is what is Illinois giving me? You know, I, I their running game can't get anything going. No, and, that, that really needs to turn around. Yeah, and if they can't, if they can't, man, I mean, like, what all you got to do is key on him and shut shut down their receivers. And what what else do they got? What else can they do? You know, I, it's this could be a rough a rough game, but you know, Bilama, like we talked about, you know, has shown up in the past at the most random time. So we'll see, we'll see. I just can the Illini play better up front, both sides to. of the ball. They have to. And I look at like the offensive line is a problem, but we ha- we had questions about the offensive line going into the season, right? Yeah. The defensive line, we didn't have questions. The defensive yeah. line was supposed to be the best defensive line in the whole Big Ten. Yeah. 
And, you know, Johnny Newton has played really well. Keith Randolph has not. Mm -hmm. He has really struggled out there. And mm -hmm. the Illini, if they're going to do what we, what, what they want to do, they need both of those guys to click at the same time. So can the two of them, you know, they haven't clicked in the first two games. Can, can Randolph step up now against Penn state? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and if you can't get any pressure on Alar on Alar or Aller, 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 Aller. I heard it once on another podcast pronounced that way. And now it's like it's stuck in my head. I know that's Aller. the worst when that happens. I hate that. <laughs> you hear it's just like a brain worm. Yeah, like I know that's not what it is, but yeah. So, but if they can't get any pressure on on Aller, then then it's it's game over, man. I mean, you give him time in the pocket, it's 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 done. And Through I, his yeah. first two career starts, Drew Aller has completed forty three of fifty five passes. That is sixth in the nation with a seventy eight point two percent completion percentage. Hmm. That is wow. totally outrageous. And then on top of that, you've got Nick Singleton and. Katron Allen in the run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got so, this two-headed monster. Yeah. Yeah, this is tough. It's a tough Big Ten opener for an Illinois team that's definitely embattled. And I, you know, I feel bad for Luke Altmeyer a little bit because I'm sure he thought he was walking into like a little bit. And you know, maybe the Illinois and I will change it, turn it around, but he's been pretty good. And yeah. his team has not done enough to support him for sure. He's a gamer, they, man. Yeah. They got to get the. They got to figure out a way to get the ball to their playmakers in a little more creative ways. Yeah, you'll be. I'll be interested to see. You know, if this team comes in feeling, you know, hungover because they knew how much they disappointed last week, or if they show up ready to play. You know, with some with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. No, I absolutely, absolutely agree. So let's talk about what we want to see. What I'd like to see in the interest of having a good game would be Illinois play better on the line of scrimmage. Yep. And, you know, they need a running game that's not just Luke Altmaier scrambling because he leads the Illini in rushing. And that's inexcusable for a Brett Bielema coach team. Yep. To have a quarterback leading you in rushing. That's not that's that's like something that the Big 12 does sometimes. That's not something you can get away with doing in the Big 10 and think you're going to win games. No. No, I'm with you, man. If they don't get that, the their issues on the line of scrimmage figured out and establish some semblance of a run game, it's going to be just a really long yeah. season. This, this game's going to be brutal, and it's going to be a brutal season. All right, let's get to our picks. I have got, I've got Illinois playing a little better. I do think they're going to rally. They're going to circle the wagons a little bit this week. But Penn State's a juggernaut, man. I think at a certain point, it's just going to be too much. So I've got Penn State 35, Illinois 13. Uh, I've got Penn State 38, and I've got Illinois 14. Wow, we didn't talk about that. Mm. We don't discuss yeah. our picks in advance. No. So when they're close, that's always interesting to me. All right, let's rock on to this next game. We've got the 2-0 Louisville Cardinals playing the 1-1 Indiana Hoosiers in Lucas Oil Stadium because they could have had it in Bloomington with the Marching 100, one of the best bands in all of college football, and the pageantry and the decadence. But nope, it's going to be in a sterile Lucas Oil Stadium. So Boom. let's all have fun with that, I guess. <laughs> all right. 
Anyway, Indiana already hates Jeff Brom from his tenure at Purdue. So here's a chance to hate on him again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's an 11 a.m. kick on the Big Ten Network. The line is Louisville negative 10. Uh, total offense, Louisville is averaging 582 yards of offense. Wow, Jeff Brom. To mm-hmm. Indiana's 356. Uh, Louisville definition of balance, 296 passing, 285 rushing. And defensively, Louisville's holding their opponents to 327 yards, while Indiana is holding their opponents to 237, which is really impressive for the Hoosiers. Yeah. Louisville offense is less led by uh, QB Jack Plummer, who was once with Jeff Brom and now with Jeff Brom again, was with him at Purdue, now with him at Louisville. He's been pretty solid at 64% completion percentage, but he's thrown three picks to go with four touchdowns. He's a typical Jeff Brom QB, which means, you know, he gets screamed at as by his head coach a lot. <laughs> but he also will do awesome on the field most of the time. <laughs> um, Cardinals spread the ball around in the passing game, but Jamari Thrash leads with 170 yards receiving and three TDs. Guys get open because Jeff Brom offenses scheme guys open. That's just the way it is. But. Louisville now gets to see a really solid Indiana defense, which they showed against Ohio State and Indiana State, but particularly against Ohio State, they showed a lot. And mm-hmm. Tom, Tom Allen and Indiana D to me are the story of this game because they got to really show up, you know, if the Hoosiers are going to have a chance. What are you thinking about this game? Yeah, I mean, like kind of like what we talked about, this is definitely a Jeff Brom offense. This the air is the, the, the ball is going to be thrown through the air 95% of the time. Um, when I was watching the game, I, was, I, I didn't pay too close of attention uh, to the Murray State game, but I watched the Georgia Tech game and, you know, they held them pretty close. And what I saw, <clears throat> you know, is that there there's not much of a run game coming from Louisville, um, which I think is going to be problematic. But I do think that this is going to be this could be the best defense they play. Um up up to this point and i think that could hold them to you know to if you can limit those big plays i guess then you know this maybe indiana can stay in this game um but that's what it's but that's what jeff brom does you know he's all about creating like you said creating those schemes to create those big plays and and if you can't shut that down you know there's not much going but if you can take away the passing game to some degree you know you might have a chance and i think indiana's defense could give them a shot. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'd put money on it, but I definitely think Indiana could keep them in this game for a while. Yeah. In a weird way, I kind of think the key to this game is the Indiana offense Mm -hmm. because it's like what we saw with Nebraska and Colorado, right? Nebraska's defense was really solid for a while. Yeah. And then the offense kept putting them in terrible positions, turning the ball over and not moving the ball and giving it back right away. And eventually the Cornhuskers got tired and they just got run off the field. Yeah. And this is the same kind of thing where Indiana needs to be able to score points and move the ball. They got to get, you know, I want to see them get the ball to Jalen Lucas a lot, put Taven Jackson in positions to succeed as a still inexperienced QB, you know, let him play to his strengths. He went 18 for 21 last week. So we know he can do it, but now we got to see it against a real live defense. Yeah. And, you know, they got to they got to scheme things to make him successful, help him move the pocket, let him use his legs to extend plays a little bit, stuff like that. And, you know, and like I said, I just I think 
Jalen Lucas has got to have a big game if Indiana's yeah. going to have a shot here. Yeah, I agree. You know, if they can get the offense to even average, um, I think they could keep this a close game and uh, the defense possibly, you know, could, uh, like I said, if they limit those big plays, they could maybe squeak something out. Yeah. All right. Should we pick it? Yeah. All right. I have got, I think this is going to be a good game. Mm -hmm. I do. I think Indiana is up for it. I think they're going to be game. But ultimately, I think Louisville's got the playmakers. And I've got Louisville 31, Indiana 20. I've got Louisville 28 and Indiana 24. I think it's close. Oh, so you've got a really close game. I I think so. I I just got a feeling Tom Allen is going to have his guys ready to go. And like, I don't know. I can see this Indiana defense just keeping those big plays down to a minimum and maybe making a little bit of a shootout. But we'll see. Yeah, they got to make they got to make Louis. I almost said Purdue. Wow. They got to make Louisville drive the field because. Jack Plummer will make mistakes. He will throw. He will throw. If you if you make him throw enough passes, he will throw interceptions. So they have to. They can't give up those big chunk plays and make it easy on them. They mm-hmm. gotta. They gotta really, like you said, limit explosive plays. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Moving on to the next game, we've got the two and zero Georgia Southern Eagles at the one and one Wisconsin Badgers. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. Line is Wisconsin, negative 19 and a half. Total offense, we've got Georgia Southern's got 468 yards a game in a very pass-heavy offense. Wisconsin, 436. Total defense, Georgia Southern's giving up 345 to Wisconsin's 325, which is a little more yards than we're used to. Wisconsin defense giving up at this at this point in the year. Uh, Georgia Southern is led by Derwin Burgess Jr. and Caleb Hood. And they have a two-headed monster at RB and White and Arnold. Their QB, Davis Brin, can really sling it and is completing, John, an eye-popping nearly 80% of his passes. Wow. Georgia Southern is one of the better teams in the Sun Belt. Clay Helton is doing a great job coaching at Georgia Southern after struggling and getting fired at USC. Like... Talk about a great second act for Clay Helton to come back. Yeah. He's been really solid. I mean, wasn't it? Didn't he beat Scott Frost last year? Didn't he put the nail yeah. in that coffin? Yep. Yeah. He's been really solid. And he's, you know, Georgia Southern used to be a triple option program. And he's made them this, you know, wide open, high flying passing attack in a pretty short order and done a great job with it. Yeah, I from what I could tell, like they definitely have some great options uh, with their weapons and the, that QB. He has speed, mobility, um, their short passing game, like the screens and their out routes and slants, like everything looked really good. He's got really quick release. Mm-hmm. Um, their offensive line provided a lot of amount, uh, a lot of time in the pocket for him. And, you know, their, their receivers are good. I mean, they, they, that offense is pretty solid and in defensively, their secondary looks good too. Yeah. Not a ton of speed, but they, they really, did well on their assignments and everything looked solid. And I just, I think that they have an ability to pro- to if, if Wisconsin continues to play the way they've been playing, th- this may not be as easy of a win as they 
may w- wish it was. It, I I really think, especially. I mean, I don't know if you heard this, but like, uh, you know, when it comes to the running game, I mean, Allen, like we talked about last the, on the last episode, he looks like he's just lumbering and slow. He looks hurt. Yeah, he looks, looks like he's hurt, but I but I haven't heard if he is. But then I hear he wants more. He got he complained publicly, I guess, about how he wishes he thinks he or he thinks he should have more touches. He did not. Yes. Really? Yes. Publicly. Yes. Not like so not like the not like he said it in the locker room and someone leaked it like he came out to a reporter or something. I can't remember what tweet it was, but it was something official and and he legitimately made some kind of claim about how yeah, he should be getting more touches and wow. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Read the room, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it came, uh it came out through Badger Extra. That's where it was. He talked with Coach Luke Fickle on Sunday after the junior carried the ball seven times against Washington State. Alan, he wasn't complaining, but he wanted his leader to know he wants the ball more. Yeah, okay. you could you could say that not to a reporter. Yeah, but you know, it, but I'm sorry, dude. Like Malusi looks like he's he's doing better in this new offense. He just works better, and he's just doing he's he looks better than you. And you look, he looks like he just got bigger and slower, and. I'm not impressed this year. I'm just not. Not with him. Yeah, so. I agree. And Malusi, uh, conversely, looks better than he ever did last yeah. year, I thought. Oh, yeah. He really kicked it into high gear this year. He looks great. Yeah. So. And that's just the problems on offense. The defense has been struggling a bit to define itself as well. They haven't yeah. forced any turnovers this year, and Wisconsin normally forces a lot of turnovers. The D, you know, the D isn't clicking quite the way it has in the past. Right now, this is kind of an average defense. Yep, it is. And I I don't know if either side of the ball really has an identity right now. Yeah. And I know that's the thing that we've talked about with other programs as well, including Minnesota. You know, like everyone's trying to figure that out with new coaches, new systems. That's tough. It takes a little while. But at this point in time, you are, would hope to start to see some semblance of that, but I'm not seeing it, you know, and it's, and honestly, we don't see a lot of it on the offense, but I, I see nothing that looks like your traditional Wisconsin defense as of, as of right now. I, I don't see it. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I, what we want to see, I'd like to see Wisconsin show some growth on defense and have some playmakers emerge. Yep. We haven't seen who's the Nick Herbig on this team who's the Keanu Benton on this team you know who are the guys who are going to step up and be playmakers you know game to game that you can count on to make you know tackles for losses and you know to to be disruptive we got to see that and then Wisconsin's got to get back to running the ball successfully yeah they can't have Allen and Malusi shut down like they were last week they just it their offense Tanner Mordecai is not a guy who can carry an offense just on his arm. And that's not a knock on Tanner Mordecai. There aren't, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks who can in college football. You know, that's more of a thing that you do in the NFL or maybe at the, you know, a handful of guys can pull off, but that's not something you, you know, you generally see. No, you gotta give, you gotta give uh, Tanner a chance to, to rest and not just carry it all on his shoulders. And if the running game doesn't step up and that offensive line doesn't start to block better, um, yeah, it's just going to be a long, 
long season. I mean, Tanner, like we, you know, in the last seat or uh, against Washington state, he looked a lot better in that third quarter. Like he was starting to stuff together and he clearly has talent, but I don't think he has enough to consistently carry that team to, to, you know, to wins throughout the season. And Georgia Southern is not going to be a pushover. No, no. I think Georgia Southern is, that's a, this is a real test. This is a, this is both a real test and I think it's a get right game for Wisconsin because, yeah. you know, obviously they should have the superior talent. They should be able to assert their will, you know, if they're able to, like you said, lean into an identity. Um, because so far we just haven't, we've seen a team that's struggling to find itself, which honestly in year one of a new regime is not that strange. We're no. in the first month of the season in year one of a totally new coach totally new staff on both sides of the ball. This is kind of what we talked about in the preseason that we mm-hmm. thought that Luke Fickle's a great hire at Wisconsin, that he's going to be really successful, but I just wasn't sure if Wisconsin was going to immediately be a top 25 team. Yeah. And do we see now that that obligatory top 20 pick was that would, did they deserve that again? I mean, I just, I, mean, I don't believe in preseason rankings at all. I don't no. think there should have any rankings. I think you should have to play a month. I think yeah. you should have to play a month and then let's talk about how good we think everybody is. And even then we'll still be wrong, but like we'll have a better idea. Yeah. All right. Should we get into a picking? Yeah. All right, John, I think this will be a close first half. I think Georgia Southern's going to move the ball early, but I think ultimately Wisconsin rallies. I think, I don't know. Like we said, we're not sure about where Allen's at, but I do think Malusi is going to get going for sure. And I've got Wisconsin 35, Georgia Southern 20. Yeah, I I'm with you. I really think I'm I'm high on Malusi, especially. I think he's going to really get it going. I think they're going to be able to establish the run with him in this game. What I saw with Georgia Southern's defense is they definitely had a lot of issues with tackling. Yeah, and they did not do well against the power run game. Like they, they, they struggled. So, I think if they're able to get that moving, um, I think Malusi's definitely going to be able to make this a big game uh, for himself. Uh, and yeah, I could see. I, I'm guess my pick, I guess, would be thirty uh, Wisconsin thirty-one, um, Georgia Southern seventeen. All right, moving on to the next time slot. We've got the Minnesota Golden Gophers visiting the number 20 North Carolina Tar Heels. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on ESPN. The line is uh, Tar Heels negative eight. Right now, total offense, Minnesota's averaging 332 yards of offense to UNC's 482. It's a little, it's sort of the opposite story on defense though, where the Gophers are holding their opponents to 224 yards per game. while UNC is giving up 423. UNC is led by Heisman candidate quarterback, Drake may and the high flying Carolina offense. He's completing 73% of his passes with two TDs and two picks. UNC has a really solid running game between O'Marion Hampton and British Brooks. They're both averaging over six and a half yards per rush, which is outstanding. And then at wide receiver, Kobe Paceauer and JJ Jones lead the way so far, but May spreads it around to a lot of receivers. 
Their receivers are big physical players, um, but they're not really burners. They're kind of the guys who are going to beat you more in a in that possession or mid range game. Probably go up and get jump balls, stuff like that. And Minnesota's a little bit of a mystery going into this game offensively. They threw the ball in week one and they ran the ball in week two. So they're going to have to do both to have a chance in this game. Um, Callie McManus completed a higher percentage of his passes for the Gophers in week two than he did in week one. He needs to have another day with a completion percentage in the mid sixties. If Minnesota is going to keep up with this high flying Carolina attack. Um, John, how are you seeing this game? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you as like Minnesota needs to decide what their offensive identity is going to be. I definitely think it has to be more of a balance. Um, we need to get both in engaged in this game. Um, but mainly I want to, you know, as we know, PJ wants to run the ball and, and control the time of possession and we need to do that against this team. Um, but have the ability to throw downfield when need be. And I think this against this defense, I think it's very possible. Um, I think we play Minnesota already played a much better defense again with Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it's definitely possible. I think, you know, UNC, you know, from what I saw, they, they are against app state. They're susceptible to the run. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't getting as much pressure on the QB as they were against South Carolina. And I saw the secondary have some issues. Um, They've gotten you know, a lot of pressures, though. They yeah, they got pressure. a lot of pressures this year. Yeah, they got a lot of pressures, but I, they weren't getting. They had a little bit trouble, more trouble getting to the quarterback against App State. App State and against and, South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Um, but Which then is kind of an indictment of the Gamecocks, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I guess for me, it's like you got to but then it's our defense against this high powered offense. And I think Minnesota's defense has a really good chance at keeping he's not going to keep Minnesota's not going to keep Drake May from scoring touchdowns like they're they're going to get points. But I think if there's a defense that will be able to keep them limited, Minnesota is going to be a great matchup for that. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to physicality and the line of scrimmage. And I think Minnesota has the edge on that. So it's, 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 it's a really interesting matchup. It really is. Yeah. Minnesota, a a good comp is, I think, uh, the NC state, North Carolina game from last year, NC state sort of controlled the line of scrimmage and they managed to beat Carolina. I think it was something like 27, 24 or something like that. And I do think that's probably the model. Like, you know, this is a PJ Fleck team. They will try to establish the run early and often. They want to burn clock. They want to limit possessions. They want to shorten the game and they want to keep Drake may off the field while they can. Mm-hmm. So I do think we're going to have to, that Minnesota is going to have to throw the ball a decent amount in this game just to keep up. But Minnesota is going to be committed to running the ball. Yeah. Um, Darius Taylor's got to build on his Big Ten Freshman of the Week performance last week, and Sean Tyler has to hold on to the football as he had a whopping three fumbles last week. That can't happen again. If, you know, PJ's mantra is the ball is the program, and they are not going to beat UNC if they commit a bunch of turnovers. No. No, I just, you got to somehow make this offense one-dimensional. And I've been debating whether or not, like, would I rather, I mean, obviously it'd be great if we could eliminate both the passing and the run game, but I feel like it's going to be one or the other. And to me, I trust Minnesota's secondary more 
at this point to like get pr- uh, to to shut down the receivers but and then also to get pressure on Drake May but then because I just after seeing the Nebraska game I'm not sure how well how good how well they will do against stopping the run so I don't know it, it's it's a it's going to be interesting to see what that comes how well Minnesota's defense plays against this team because they got a lot of weapons I think they I think you still even though it's Drake May I think you still have to stop the run first yeah. And you have to force those receivers to make plays on the outside and you have to trust your secondary to be able to take care of it. Because I if do. you if you try to take away the passing game and let them run into a light box, then all of a sudden that becomes a really long night. Yeah. And then the passes Drake May gets are easy because you're talking about third and short. You know, if they're running the ball well, then all of a sudden you're giving Drake May second and third and short and yeah. that you're not going to survive that. And these running backs from UNC, man, I mean, they, they scare me. They are really good. Yeah. And they're big freaking bruisers, dude. They are not easy to take down. No. So it's, that's, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like I, I, if we can stop the run game, I trust Minnesota secondary to keep Drake May in check. I mean, I don't know to, to, to keep him from going ballistic. Yes, because there you go. Regardless, That's... Minnesota is going to have to score points to win this game. Yeah. They're going to have to hit chunk plays in the passing game. That means get big games from Daniel Jackson, Brevin Spanford, and Corey Crooms. All those guys have to make plays down the field if Minnesota is going to keep up with this. It's kind of like the um, Indiana-Louisville game a little bit mm-hmm. in that you know the strength on strength here is the gopher defense versus the UNC offense but I kind of think the key unit is the gopher offense because mm-hmm. they have to score. They have to sc- do two things. They have to score enough points to keep up with North Carolina, but they also have to keep enough time of possession that Drake made. They don't give him a million possessions. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a great game. And I feel like it's being, it's like under, it's not getting a lot of hype nationally, which is kind of crazy, which is surprising because it's not, this isn't like a packed week of games, right? Yeah. It's not one where you have a ton of, there aren't a big standout. In fact, in fact, I've seen, I've even seen some college, some people on Twitter who call themselves college football journalists who are saying that this is a bad slate of games. I'm sorry. We get like 13, 14 of these days a year. Yeah. There are no bad slates of games. I agree. Every all college football is great college football and every week there's fantastic college football to watch. So if you don't think if you're not excited about this week's slate of games, then I think it says more about your relationship to college football than it says about the the games that are being played. And this Minnesota game, I mean, maybe it's just yeah, maybe it's just that the Gophers aren't ranked. I do wonder if the Gophers had been slotted in, you know, if they were like Iowa ranked number 25 right now at 2-0, and then maybe there would be more hype. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is kind of flying under the radar, which is probably just the way PJ Fleck wants, wants it anyway. True, true. This is a, there's a lot at stake for both teams in this. Mac, yeah. This is Mac Brown's year. This is Mac Brown's year, his last year with Drake May before Drake may goes pro this is his year to make a big run at winning the ACC. And so, you know, they obviously you can still do that if you lose this game, 
but it takes some of the shine off for sure. Yep. Right. Whereas you look at the Gophers, the Gophers next week play Northwestern the week after they play Louisiana Lafayette, right? They're going to be heavily favored in both those games. So if Minnesota does manage to upset North Carolina, they will be ranked next week and they will get increasingly higher ranked in the subsequent weeks until they play Michigan. Yeah. When, when Michigan comes to town, who's ranked number two in the country. And if, if Minnesota is ranked in the top 20, when Michigan comes to town, that could be one of the more hyped games we've seen in the history of Huntington bank stadium battle for the little Brown jug. Yeah. But that only happens if Minnesota wins. If Minnesota loses, everybody writes them off again. And again, yep. Minnesota could still compete in the West. This isn't, you know, I'm not, we're not writing them off if they lose this game. But, you know, it would, from a program perception perspective, from a publicity perspective, this is, there's a, this is a big game. Absolutely. For both, for both teams with a lot on the line. Well, yeah, and we won't write them off. But as we know, the majority of the rest of the college football world will. Oh, immediately. That's immediately. just what they do to the Gophers. Doesn't Ridden matter. Yeah. We can win. Minnesota could win the next, you know, ten games in a row, and it, it will. <laughs> it, <laughs> or yeah. Nine games, and yeah, it, it wouldn't matter. So, yeah, anyway, no, yeah, yeah, dude. Let, let's, uh, yeah, let's call this. Let's see, see where we're at with this. It'll be a great game. Great. I'm, I'm so curious. We haven't talked about this. I'm really curious to see what you have versus what I have. So. Uh, I can go first as, you know, per tradition here. So I think this is going to be a really good game. I think Minnesota is going to move the ball and score some points early. I do think at a certain point, Drake May is going to get a ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game. And I'm going to say that he does it. And I've got North Carolina 28, Minnesota 24. Okay. Well, I think this is going to come down to the line of scrimmage. And I think the Gophers will be much more physical at the line of scrimmage and be able to push North Carolina around enough. And I think Darius Taylor will continue to show that he can be that guy. And probably halfway through the third quarter UNC starts to just like give up a little bit more and you can see them get tired and I got Minnesota 27 UNC 24 all right well I certainly hope you're correct (laughs) it's a little bit of a homer pick I'll admit it but yes yeah that's what I'm going for all right Okay, moving on in the next game, we've got the one and one Northwestern Wildcats visiting the two and zero number twenty one ranked uh, Duke Blue Devils. This is a two thirty p.m. game on the ACC network. The line is Duke negative eighteen and a half. Total offense: Northwestern's averaging two hundred ninety six yards to Duke's four hundred forty five, and defense: Northwestern's giving up three hundred two yards to Duke's three eighteen. Um, let's just first say what Northwestern did last week was inspiring and impressive. They beat UTEP badly when they weren't favored. And that was a big win for the program. And I'm, you know, I'm happy for them that they were able to have that moment, Hmm. but can they keep it up this week against a red hot Duke team still riding high from blowing out Clemson in week one? 
It's going to be tough, man. Um, I think Northwestern, they, uh, yeah, they needed that win last week and they needed that confidence back Mm -hmm. um, because they're going to need it for sure. In this game, I, I think what the, for me, their key, you know, Duke, their key players is waters. You know, he's, he's an amazing power back and yeah, he's not very fast, but he's just really tough to take down. And, you know, they're going to want to establish the run game and wear you down and open to open up that play action pass later. But if, if Northwestern's defense can continue to play like they were last week, I think they had, they, you know, they could give themselves a shot. And, but as of right now, I definitely would say Duke has the advantage offensively. Yeah. Riley Leonard is a threat at quarterback with both his arms and his legs. He's completing 64% of his passes with 111 yards rushing in two games. And obviously Duke has two really capable backs in waters and more. Mm. Um, yeah, this Duke team won nine games last year. They could easily do it again this year. This is a strong ball club for sure. Yeah. Uh, North conversely Northwest. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Go. You go ahead. Sorry. Um, conversely, Northwestern got an efficient game from Ben Bryant last week. They need him to build on that this week, assuming he is healthy. Of course, he's got to continue spreading the ball around to different receivers as there's no one go-to guy in this Northwestern offense. The coaching staff has to scheme guys open because this, you know, they don't have a lot of playmakers. And then again, I'm going to continue saying it. They got to feature cam Porter as much as possible in both the rushing and the passing game. Yeah. Well, fortunately, for what I saw defensively from Duke, you know, in some ways, what I when I was watching some of the film is what I think Northwestern is really going to have to do is get that short, quick passing game going and get like you said, get Cam Porter involved in that. Yeah. You know, they the the Duke defense did a decent job holding Lafayette in check, but they didn't look unbeatable, though. And to me, what I kind of had what. I, and maybe I'm just crazy thinking this, but I was kind of looking at it and, and the, the question that popped into my head was, is Clemson just that bad this year? Because Duke, <laughs> I, I know it sounds crazy, but I don't know. This is just what came into my mind because I was watching them and I was like, oh, dude, like they look, I mean, they're good. You know, they're fine. Obviously, they played well enough against Clemson, but like Lafayette, like it didn't look nothing was wowing me, I guess. I don't know. Like they were kind of slow. Their tackling didn't look great at times. You know, I know it was raining, so I got to kind of maybe, you know, give some, give them a little credit there, but like, yeah. Also, do you think that they were figuratively hung over? Yeah. Clemson? Good point. I mean, you, you knock off Clemson. That's one of the biggest wins in the history of the program. Yeah. I'm not surprised that Duke looked a little sloppy last week. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think Clemson's what they've been. I don't think they're a national title contender, but I don't think Clemson is bad either. I think Clemson is still an extremely talented, you know, team that if they were willing to use the transfer portal would probably be even better. Yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Should we pick this one? Yeah. All right. I've got... The Duke Blue Devils 34, Northwestern Wildcats 16. I think Northwestern does a little bit better. Um, I have the Duke Blue Devils 31 and Northwestern 21. Okay. 
Right on. Let's move on to the next game. We've got the Western Michigan Broncos at the two and or sorry, the one and one Western Michigan Broncos at the two and oh, number 25 ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. The line is Iowa negative 28 and a half. Right now, total offense, Western Michigan's averaging 414 yards per game. Iowa just 260. Total defense, Western Michigan's giving up 389. Iowa's giving up 310. Western Michigan QB Jack Salapek completing 69% of his passes for a paltry 5.8 yards per attempt, one TD and two picks. Um, The offense is led by uh, the running back Buckley at 7.4 yards per rush. Um, Broncos beat St. Francis and got crushed by Syracuse. Iowa D excels at stopping the run. So the fact that Western Michigan is a run-based offense means they could struggle in Kinnick. Um, Iowa QB Cade McNamara has been playing hurt. This is the first week he's practiced all a week. Will he still look somewhat hurt or is he going to look healthier now and start to look a little more like the guy we saw at Michigan? John, what are you, what are you thinking about this game? Well, Western Michigan started off real hot with the Buckley with a 75 yard TD run and just fell apart from there. Like that was, that was it. Um, mm-hmm. they, their quarterback just got nailed all game long, just got hit a lot, sacked and, you know, which he was constantly under pressure and he made a lot of big mistakes and, you know, ended up throwing a pick six at one point yep. and defensively, you know, the secondary had issues. I do think that, uh, Cade will have time in the pocket. Um, even though he is injured, I think as long as his offensive line can provide him a little bit of time in the pocket, he'll be able to be, he'll be fine. But, you know, we're all, he also will have to have the receivers help him out a little bit. Um, I think the tight ends on defense are going to be a tough matchup for, uh, for Western Michigan. Uh, I just think they have a hard time getting any kind of push penetration. Can't really stop the run. Uh, I think I was going to be fine. I think they're going to be able to run. I think they're going to be able to pass. As long as they keep uh, McNamara upright, it shouldn't be much of an issue. Yeah, that's my note. I think Iowa's going to be able to run and pass the ball at will against Western Michigan. Um, this is a chance to run the score up. And yeah. given Brian Ferentz's, you know, contract requiring 25 points per game, this is the last real true flat-out cupcake on the schedule. So Iowa, you know, I mean, I guess depending on what you think about Northwestern, but Iowa really needs to run the score up in this game because there just aren't a lot of layups after this weekend. So if he's going to average how many 25 points, how many games or how many points does he do they have to score this game if they don't even get to 25 for the rest of the season? I I don't have that. I think they're averaging though 22 going into this game. I think so. Yeah. So they're short of what they, they got. They got to go crazy. Like they got to let McNamara just throw all over the field. Basically. I mean, yeah, they, sh- they, sh- that's what they should be doing, but maybe the contracts, maybe it was all for show. Maybe Could there's be. a handshake agreement behind the scenes that they're going to rip up the contract at the end of the year and just sign a new contract because so far, Brian Ferentz does not strike me as a guy who's who's coaching thinking he needs to score a bunch of points because that's not how he's running his offense at all no 
I'm not seeing much much change here. They they've upgraded at quarterback, so it looks it looks better in some areas, and their running back looks looks like he's doing all right. But yeah, man, overall, I'm not seeing any urgency. No, but it may not matter this week because Western Michigan's really bad. They are. They may not need urgency to score a ton of points this week. That's true. So, all right, let's pick this game. I have got, and this is a leap of faith. I'm I'm believing in the Iowa offense here. I'm believing the Iowa offense is going to put it together. That they're going to take an inferior opponent out to the woodshed, and you know, and do what they have to do to score a bunch of points. So I'm going to say Iowa 42, Western Michigan 10. Okay. I have faith they will be able to do it as well. Um, I have Iowa 38 and Western Michigan 6. Okay. Awesome. Moving on to the next game. We've got the 1 and 1 Virginia Tech Hokies at the 2 and 0 Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on the Big 10 Network. The line is Rutgers negative 7. Uh, Virginia Tech lost to Purdue and beat Old Dominion. They would have lost worse to Purdue if it hadn't been for the weather delay, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vatex offense is averaging 327 to Rutgers 369. Uh, Virginia Tech is all passing as they cannot run the ball. Defensively, Virginia Tech's giving up 361 yards per game, and Rutgers is giving up just 250 yards per game, John. Oh, wow. Pretty impressive stuff. Rutgers has been great against the run so far this year. Uh, so Rutgers stops the run. Virginia Tech can't run the ball. That means Rutgers is going to be able to pin their ears back and attack as Virginia Tech's going to have to throw the ball to get anywhere. And that could really bode well for this Rutgers pass rush. Um, Grant Wells, excuse me, is a competent QB for Virginia Tech, and he can cause some problems for a defense. But it's a lot of pressure to put on him to win without a run game. Yeah, I mean, Wells looks fine when he's got some time, you know, but also his main weapon is Lane. And I think if they can take Lane out of the, out of uh, that, you know, disrupt that connection, mm-hmm. where else is he going to go? And I really think this, uh, the Shiano defense is just stingy enough to take them out of the game and keep them out of the game. Uh, and their offense, man, I think Rutgers offense with that run game, really getting, getting going last week. Um, they looked good, you know, and Wimsat's not, you know, he's not making any major highlight reels, but he looks competent. He, you know, was making some better than he was last year. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Manungai is fantastic. And I think really, he's fun to watch. Yeah. So I, I really think, uh, Rutgers is going to be just fine here on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, I just don't see Virginia tech. I mean, their D line is terrible. And their their secondary does not look great. I no. I think it's going to be a pretty pretty easy win for Rutgers. Yeah, I think that Rutgers O line has some injury issues, and I think that could cause some problems offensively, just in a continuity sense. I don't know how deep Rutgers is on the O line, um, but yeah, no, I'm with you. Should we pick this game? Yeah. All right, I've got Rutgers twenty one. Virginia Tech 10. I've got Rutgers at 24, Virginia Tech 13. All right. 
Moving right along, we've got the 2-0 Western Kentucky Hilltoppers at the 2-0 uh, number 6th ranked, I believe, Ohio State Buckeyes. That's 3 p.m. Is that right, John? Look that up for me. Yeah. It's Ohio State 6. I didn't write it in my notes, and I'm just going off memory, but I don't want to be wrong about that. All right. This is a 3 p.m. game on Fox. The line is Ohio State, negative 29. Total offense, Western Kentucky is pretty prolific, averaging 449 a game yards a game to Ohio State's 431. Total defense, Western Kentucky is averaging giving up 454 yards, even more than they're than they're than they're uh, amassing offensively. And Ohio State's giving up just 194 yards. The Silver Bullets have been back defensively this year. That has been definitely the story for the Ohio State Buckeyes thus far. Um, Buckeyes have been pretty elite on b- both sides of the ball, whereas the Hilltoppers have been great on offense, but absolutely abysmal on defense. Western Kentucky QB Austin Reed has completed 68% of his passes for nearly 600 yards in two games. He's been great with six TDs and zero picks. They spread the ball around a lot among their position players. And Ohio State got back on track after a shaky offensive performance against Indiana. Um, John, Kyle McCord was officially named starting QB for the year. So now can we see him take the next step and go from good to great? Because at Ohio State, the expectation is greatness for QB1, and he is now officially for the year QB1. What do you think? Yeah, well, first off, yes, they were number six. You were right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I've been hearing some talk about this this game uh, this last week. You know, talking about you know how Western Kentucky could be a tougher opponent, uh, tougher out than what everyone's expecting. You know, and they did. They scored a lot of points, but they were. But I gotta say, they didn't always look great doing it against Houston Christian, which obviously you know they were outclassed. Sure. Um, But Western Kentucky, uh, you know, their passing game is going to be their strength. Uh, you know, I saw mostly, you know, short passes across the middle and out routes. The receivers had trouble holding onto the ball though. And they dropped a, a, a number of deep balls that, you know, could have gone for six. So that's going to be an issue going up against a Buckeye defense. Um, and I guess, you know, they looked, Western Kentucky looked fine against Houston Christian, which they should. But again, there was like a ton, it was messy and a lot of missed tackles. So yeah, man, I, I I think that Ohio State should be able to take care of yeah, this. No good. Just fine. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, I, I do think that this is the best version of the Buckeye defense we've seen in a few years. Mm. This is much closer to a I mean, dare I say, could this be close to a Jim Tressel level defense? Potentially, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Could be. We'll see. It's definitely possible. And yeah, I I do think Ohio State's going to roll in this one. You know, Ohio State. My big question is, you know, Ryan Day wants to throw the ball, but Ohio State is elite at running the ball. Can Ryan Day and the Buckeyes find a real balance? Because I want to see the Buckeyes run the ball more than Ryan Day usually wants to run the ball. Yeah, I do too, man. I, I want to see, I want to see Henderson and, and Williams get get in there and and really establish that that time of possession for once and and, see, and just let 
I, I want to see that offensive line just shove them around and show how the, yeah. they're just going to be able to dominate them at the line of scrimmage throughout the entire game and just and then then let Kyle McCord just you know go off in the second half. The Buckeyes have got to feel disrespected falling in the polls the way they did. You know, yeah. and I think this for them is this is a game where a team that's that feels slighted comes out and makes a big statement and says, hey, we're here for real. You forgot about us. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone ever really forgets Ohio State, but you know what I mean? When they drop <laughs> yeah. a hole, people start saying Penn State and Michigan are better. They're whispering those things. Oh, you yeah. got to think in Columbus, you got to think in Columbus, they're hearing that. Absolutely. And they want to send a message that they are still the same Ohio State 800 pound, you know, elephant in the Big Ten. Well, and Kyle McCord looks so much better last week, you know, and I think he just needed to, like we said, to get those jitters out. And I think this is another chance for him to just sling the ball all over the field, get more comfortable in the pocket. And yeah, I think really make that statement. I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's pick it. I've got Ohio State 52, Western Kentucky 10. I think the defense shows up in a big way and sends a message on Saturday. Okay. Okay. I've got Ohio State uh, 49 and Western Kentucky 13. I think that there's some they're able to get off a couple you know, a couple plays early in the early in the game but then you know the Ohio State defense just buck, buckles up and that's it. All right. Moving right along. We've got the 2 and 0 number 8 ranked Washington Huskies at the 2 and 0 Michigan State Spartans. This is a 4 p.m. game on Peacock. Peacock. Because apparently the Big 10 didn't have enough money now you have to go out and buy a stupid app just to watch your team play. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe the Peacock thing. And I know eventually they're going to put a gopher game on Peacock. And I'm going to get it because I'm a sucker, but I'm going to hate it. So I hate that you have to get Peacock now just to be a Big Ten fan. It bothers me. Yeah. All right, the line for this game is Washington negative 16. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, no, I'm I'm with you, dude, I, on the whole subscription thing, and I just think it's probably going to get worse in more ways than than we know. Yeah, but in this game, Harlan Barnett is acting head coach, and Mark D'Antonio is coming back as assistant head coach. So far, total offense, Washington is averaging an eye popping 566 yards to Sparty's pretty impressive 434 yards. Defensively, Washington's giving up 360 yards. Sparty just 206. Washington wants to throw the ball over the place with their elite QB, Michael Pinnix. He throws it to Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk. These are all NFL caliber receivers. Hmm. Pinnix currently 57 for 78, 859 yards, eight TDs, and one pick. That is, John, outrageous. Yeah. I dude, I mean, this is a tall order for Michigan State. <laughs> like, this is a tall order for anybody. I'm just saying, it's gotta like, kill Indiana fans in the transfer portal era. Oh. It's gotta kill Indiana fans to watch what Michael Penix is doing right now. Like, I genuinely feel bad. 
It would break my heart, dude. I mean, like it's you know for me for you know us as Gopher fans watching Bucky Irving you know run all over the field uh, in, at Oregon, but like this is even yeah. on a this is another level. This is worse. This is worse yeah. than that. Yeah, because it, Bucky left and we still had Mohammed Ibrahim. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Whereas, but, yeah. Oof. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I I just I don't know, man. And and like and obviously like with all the controversy that's going on in East Lansing right now, how is yeah. this team going to show up? That's my big question. Absolutely. I mean, there's talent. Like, you know, the Spartans have a ton of talent. They they can score points. They can handle things, you know, defensively pretty well. I don't know how well against yep. this offense. But, you know, but, but I think what it's going to come down to is what where is their head at? You know, I, I still think Washington will win this game. But what's the margin going to be? You know, will how, what that will depend on is how they show up. I mean, there two things could happen. Like, the Spartans could circle the wagons and, like, come together and play a really inspired game, or they could absolutely fall apart and disintegrate. And yeah. I think it could go either way. Well, in, in bringing in D'Antonio, like, that's great, but, like, how much of a connection does he have to any of these players? You know? Like, it's just... Right. Yeah. I mean, I get the move. I get why you're doing it, but man, I I don't know. I don't know, dude. It's there's just too much going on with this with this game. I feel I I had higher hopes for for Sparty before all this stuff went down in East Lansing. Yeah, but now uh, I I don't know. It looks it looks pretty dim. Yeah, there is their secondary ready for this. And I feel like the answer for any secondary would be just about in the whole country would be no, no, this Washington yeah. passing attack is absolutely electric. Yeah. They're going to um, need Noah Kim to build on his stellar performance from last week. He's got to keep his completion percentage in the high sixties because that's any, and not, and limit, you know, not make any mistakes. Cause that's what it's going to take. If he's going to go blow for blow with Michael Pinnix and the Huskies. I just, this is, this offense is just suffocating, dude. Like I, I, I just don't know how anyone could really put it, you know, stand up well against this, against Penix and, and that offense. It just, he's too much of a threat and everyone all over the field. It's just, it's scary. I mean, maybe Sparty, maybe Nathan Carter has a huge game, right? Could be. Maybe Nathan Carter goes ballistic. Sparty controls time of possession. Noah Kim is, you know, is a is efficient and they keep Pinnix off the field as much as they can. Mm -hmm. You know, they establish Trey Mosley early, you know, maybe get Malik Carr involved. Like I could see a path for them to win this game. I'm not saying that I don't, but it does look like a really tall order. Well, and the thing just as much as that offense is 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 so overwhelming, their defense is the same, man. Like they they really they swarm to the ball. They're super fast. You know, they're they're great at picking off passes. They 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 can shut down the run. Yep. I mean, they're just this is a complete team you're going against. Both sides. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, in the I've gotten the what do we want to see? Normally I talk about, you know, players performing or the way they execute different things in this section, but I just want to see Sparty fight for their school and for their team. Like yeah. what I don't want to see is them give up now that their coach is probably gone. 
Yeah, I, I agree, man. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of solid talent on this team. There's really good players. I think that they could still have a decent season, but yeah, it'll be it's more the psychological battle in this one. Yeah. All right. I think that Sparty rallies. I think they fight together. I do think that they really show up in a big way. And I think they keep it interesting for a while, but ultimately I think Washington's just got too much firepower. Mm-hmm. So I've got Washington 28, Sparty 13. I've got Washington 35 and Sparty 17. All right. Moving right along to the night games. We've got the one and one Northern Illinois Huskies playing at the 0 and two Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is a 6 p.m. game on FS1. The line is Nebraska, negative 11 and a half. Total offense, NIU's 349 yards to Nebraska's 318 average. Defensively, NIU's giving up just 267 yards to Nebraska's 353, although I think that's a little distorted. Nebraska played pretty well against Colorado. They just eventually got tired and then they got torched at that point. Yeah. For NIU, Rocky, Rocky Lombardi is still in college football, John. I think this is his seventh year. It has to be, man. It's gotta be, it's gotta be six or seven. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, good for him. Honestly, living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. He is completing 55% of his passes. He's not the most accurate QB. He's got one TD and three picks. He is a transfer from Michigan State, um, so that's why we are familiar with him, of course. And uh, he spreads the ball around to a lot of receivers. We've got the Huskies have had a strange season. They beat Boston College, which, awesome, beat a Power 5 team. And then they turned around and lost to Southern Illinois, which is an FCS team. So NIU's been a little bit all over the place. What What are you thinking about this game, John? Well, I think you know, NIU, they're definitely going to try to establish the run, but it's, you know, they, they didn't, they don't look great there. Um, you know, throw in the play action, uh, but against a better defense, I think it's going to be tough. You know, this is not Colorado, obviously. So I expect, you know, Nebraska's defense to do very well, but then we have to go back and we have to look at Nebraska's offense. And what I'm hearing is that uh, Sims is now questionable. Um, I saw that, which is not surprising. I mean, I think I mean he's already been known to be prone to to injury, but also with how much they have to use him, and it's not sustainable. We talked about that in a previous episode. So, yep. but is that like? I guess what we're gonna find out is is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, is this gonna go from like? bad to worse or is this going to go from like bad to we're, we're, you know maybe one of these backups is going to be okay you know if, if we just get someone who's competent but i mean they don't need much find it out. they don't need much nebraska can run the ball a little bit mm-hmm. they play good defense they just need a guy to not make mistakes and kill them yeah um and i guess it could be chubba purdy or it could be heinrich harburg i believe it is Hmm. And I heard, so we don't. I, I think I heard Harp. I think he is being talked about as the starter, but I could be well, wrong. I think Chubba Purdy's been banged up too. Yeah. So yeah. I think it could be him. Yeah. That'll we'll, be we'll interesting see. to see. I know literally nothing about him. I don't either. I have no idea of anything about this kid. 
Yeah. But I, either way, I mean, I think, you know, the, just through physicality, Nebraska should be able to pull out a win against Absolutely. this team. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to find out, man. Because, again, we're talking about the psychological battle on the field as well. Because yeah. they were demoralized after that that last that, again, that loss against Colorado. And I you how much how how much does this defense want to continue to bail out its its team? I mean, I think the fact that it's the home opener gives Nebraska a big boost. True. The crowd will be absolutely jacked up, ready to go. And I think the fact that they're owing two will will be forgotten. Once the ball is kicked, at least, you know, for the duration of the game until, you know, they finish with it. Right. Yeah. Assuming things, assuming things go well. Um, I mean, what we want to see, we want to see Nebraska's defense continue to play well. And I want to see the offense step up against a good NIU defense. They need to score some points and avoid turnovers. I mean, they have to. And we've been saying it before. We said it before the last game. They have to run the ball, period. Yep. That's it. Last game, Nebraska still threw it repeatedly on key early downs, which led to disaster. This week, honestly, they need to be like an old school Nebraska offense and just run it all. I think run it just about all the time and give their quarterback really easy throws and make it make it make it easy for him so he doesn't have to execute a bunch of tough stuff. I agree. And I think they can. I think if you just play smart and just try to keep it as simple as possible and but just continue to wear them down with the run game. You you got a shot, man. You know, it may not look pretty, but I think they can do that against this team and pull out a W. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, and that's why I've got a pick of Nebraska 23, Northern Illinois 13. <clears throat> I've got a pick with Nebraska 24 and Northern Illinois 10. All right. Moving right along, we've got the one and one Bowling Green Falcons at the two and zero number two ranked Michigan Wolverines. This is a six thirty p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Michigan favored by a John forty and a half points. <laughs> forty and a half. That is an outrageous spread. <laughs> like, I mean, even it might as well be like you know. 150 at this point, like against yeah, this team for real. And at the same time, I wouldn't doubt Michigan to cover it. <laughs> yeah, the way they're playing. Yeah. Um, Michigan's being coached uh, this game by O line coach slash offensive coordinator Sharon Moore. Bowling Green has former Indiana Hoosier Connor Basilak playing QB, and so far he's had his ups and downs with 29 for 49, 390 yards, three. TDs, but also three picks. Um, and that's all I have to say about Bowling Green because JJ McCarthy and Michigan are going to steamroll through this game. Michigan needs to work on the running game in this game and make sure it's ready for conference play. But I expect JJ McCarthy to put up big stats too. John, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this game. What any thoughts you have? Well, this has been the majority of our coverage with Michigan this season. Um, up to this point, it's like, yeah, man. I mean, what what do you got to say? Like, if if it isn't just a total blowout, then something's wrong. But I expect it to be just a bloodbath, and Bowling Green is going to be praying for that game to be over real quick. Yeah, this is going to be like the famous Bowling Green massacre when uh, 
Ohio State beat them 77 to nothing. I think it's going to be something along the line. So I've got, yeah. I think uh, they eventually, Michigan eventually calls off the dogs because they usually do. Mm-hmm. So I've got Michigan 49, Bowling Green 3. I think Bowling Green scores that field goal late. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I was going to say 45, but like, yeah, I mean, 49, 49 to three. Yeah. I, that sounds about right to me. I, I, it could be more than that. That wouldn't surprise me either. So no, uh, not at all. But I think that's a safe bet right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think Michigan covers. I w- I'll be surprised. I mean, I won't be surprised if they don't, but I do expect that they will. All right. <laughs> moving on to what I believe is the last game of the night. We've got the two two and zero Syracuse Orange at the one and one Purdue Boilermakers. This is a six thirty p.m. game on NBC. The line is Syracuse negative two and a half. Total offense: Syracuse is averaging five hundred and eighty-seven to Purdue's three hundred ninety-five. Total defense: Purdue's giving or Syracuse is giving up just two hundred and twelve, uh, and Purdue's giving up three hundred eighty-seven. This is kind of a tough game to pick, John. Syracuse mm-hmm. beat Colgate 65 to zero and then beat Western Michigan 48 to seven. So they're big wins, but they're big wins against pretty bad competition. Yeah. Uh, QB Garrett Schrader leads a potent orange offense. He's got a completion percentage of 69%, almost 550 yards, five TDs, just one pick. Cuse uses three r- running backs and has several receivers at targets a lot led by standouts, Hatchers, Jones and Brown. And yeah, there's a decent amount of talent on this Syracuse offense. Uh, John, what do you think about this game? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of talent on this offense, but and they ran all over Western Michigan and passed the ball well. It, they, their their offense is pretty potent, you know. But again, these were pretty in, you know poor opponents, um, and their defense mm-hmm. looked pretty stingy. Um, they can get in the into the backfield and cause some cause some disruption. And they've got, you know, they've got a lot of speed out there, but I think Purdue is going to be okay. I think uh, it could be a closer game, Um, but I think Card is going to be just fine. I think that they've, you know, having Burks there and being able to run the ball now, I think they got Maccabee moving pretty well. I think they're going to be okay and cause some issues for Syracuse. Um, I like, I think Purdue has been a little bit more tested, so they're going to probably be able to get through this a lot better. Yeah, I agree. I want to see Devin Mockaby have a good game to keep Cuse's offense off the field a little bit. And I want to see Burks get established in the passing game. I mean, yeah, Hudson Card and Purdue, I mean, they need to score points or they're not going to have a chance in this game for sure. But they've been able to score some points. This is a big game for Purdue. Yeah. At one and one, you do not want to go into conference play at one and two because then a bowl is almost pretty much off the table. And that really is going to kill your momentum. So there's a lot. Um, there's a lot on the line for the Boilermakers in this game. I think. But I think I've been impressed so far with Walters and what he's done and how prepared he's had this team. You know, like let's you know just because they lost mm-hmm. to Fresno State, like, like like we talked about, like that's a good team they lost to. And Walters had them. You know, there were some holes and there were some issues here and there, but overall, like they looked pretty pretty good. They looked together. And Offensive. I, yeah, offensively and. And so I, and then they fixed the, they, you know, fixed a lot of those issues in the last game um, defensively. Yep. And so 
I, mm-hmm. I I have some faith. You know, I think it could be a pretty close game, but I think Purdue is actually going to be able to pull this one out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to be a close game as well. Um, I have got the Syracuse Orange 28, Purdue Boilermakers 27. I've got Purdue 24 and Syracuse 20. All right. So we've got a couple games, a couple games uh, where you picked the Big Ten team and I picked the ACC team. Yeah. I certainly hope the egg is on my face. I I hope so too. In both situations. I I think, you know, I think it's just, like I said, like with Syracuse, I just, and, and well, I think it's just going to come down, I think, to physicality with both of these. And I just, I, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think the Big Ten just, when it comes down to physicality, they just, they're, they're a little, they're a tier above the ACC. Yes. I think on the line of scrimmage, the play in the Big Ten is on average better than the ACC. I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, and we're going to find out this weekend in some games. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, man, I'm always looking forward to it. It's going to be fun as always. And we're getting closer and closer to that uh, slate of Big Ten conference games week in and week out, which is my favorite. Yes. Um, so, yeah, dude, I think all in all, it's this is just going to be another fun, get fun weekend. And I hope you enjoy your time down in Chapel Hill. And hopefully, like I said, you come back with a W. That'd be excellent. Yeah, I'm excited, and it is a uh, it is a two thirty Central kick, three thirty Eastern. So I will be literally and figuratively. I no, actually, I'll just be literally sweating it out. I'm going to be sweating a lot. <laughs> it's going to be the I middle expect- of the day. It's going to be hot. It's going to be eighty something degrees, and I'm going to be nervous. Knowing you, I I'm I can already picture you standing around and pacing a lot. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I'm. I oh yeah. Very nervous going into this game, for sure. It's a big it's a big game. It's a big weekend of Big Ten football, but it always is, John. That's right. Well, you want if you want to catch us, you, you can always find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. And if you want to find us on Twitter, uh, we are at we live for B1G Sat. That's at we live for B1G Sat. We live for Saturday. Awesome. All right. Everyone have a great weekend. We will be back to review this game, these games on uh, Sunday. Awesome. Can't wait. Enjoy. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody.